I like that. I like that. Okay, so last week we were talking about the idea of Mesirut Nefesh, the giving of your soul. Basically, we, we spoke about Aaron, how he, he, he did what he did in a way that was Mesirut Nefesh. He was willing to risk his soul, not just his life. We talked about the difference of doing something Lishma versus Lo Lishma, and how important it was to have intent. So what happened this week, I was looking at something, and sometimes you learn something, and it completely throws you for a loop. I've been quoting something from Tosvot, and it's interesting because when Tosvot writes this, he writes this, and I'm going to quote you exactly as Tosvot writes it, and say, I always quoted it, and I always understood this to be a simple fact, and I see now that it's not only his number, basically he, 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 he makes the numbers equal he says that Haman giving the 10,000 talents of silver is equal to 600,000 half shekel of silver. So he says basically, because the Gemara says that Hashem planned the 600,000 half shekel in order to overcome the 10,000 talents of silver that, that uh, Haman gives to Achashverosh. And Tosvot writes it's an equivalent amount. And he says, go specifically, and he says, if you calculate it, you'll see how it's exact. Okay? Now I see, it's not only it's not exact, it's not off by 10, it's not off by 100, it's not off by 10 times, it's off by 100 times. You didn't know that? Well, 600,000 half shekels. Right. And he, he compares the 600,000 half shekel. He compares that to 10,000 talents of silver, and he says it's exactly the same number. So I saw something, this was, this was based on a shiur given by Rabbi Moshe Wolfson. He's a, he's a rabbi in Baropak, and uh, I got it from one of the rabbis in Nativarie that I still keep in touch with from when my son was there many moons ago. So it says, we read in Megillat Esther, that Haman offers to weigh out 10,000 kikar, talents of silver, to Ahasuerus' treasury, in order that Ahasuerus permit Haman to destroy the Jewish people. It says, Rav Yonatan Ibishit says something unbelievable. He says that Ahasuerus refused the money, and we see, he says, Hakesef Natun Lach, right? So what did Haman do? He says that Haman gave the money to Sedakah. He gave the money to help people. So this Rasha Gamur that we call Haman took this 10,000 talents of silver and he gave it to help people. This, the money that he gave was from Ahasuerus' treasure? No, he was telling Ahasuerus. So Ahasuerus, there's a, there's a certain nation that they're not doing what's right. Right. Okay, so he says, I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver because if I do something to them, they're not going to pay their taxes. So in order to compensate the treasury for the taxes, I'm going to give you 10,000 talents of silver. Ahasuerus says, the kesef natun lach, you could keep the money and you could do what you want with the people. Oh, so he doesn't want the money from Haman. It's Haman's money. You keep the money, you can do what you want. I want nothing to do with this. I know anyone who starts with the Jews ends up in trouble. You want to deal with this, have a good time yourself. It's amazing, like these guys know that much and they still want to... It's unbelievable what Haman is, right, it's unbelievable that Haman is, and Haman, he says, he says, he says that Haman subsequently gave the money to charitable causes. He writes this in his 18th century, he writes, he says he gave it to charitable sources in order to have zechut, which he could use to overcome the Jewish people. Amazing. So we see in this, we see that we read last week, we're going to read in Shekalim, we're reading in all these weeks, the idea of giving Machasid HaShekel. And this week we, we have Shabbat Shekalim, and the, the oral tradition says that we announce always before Rosh Chodesh or Rosh Chodesh Adar, that we're going to collect the Machasid HaShekel, because the basic use year after year for the Machasid HaShekel was to buy the korbanot, so the korbanot that are being offered are offered on behalf of the community. It's a communal offering where everyone has a share within the, within the... Uh, so, so sometimes maybe, it, I don't know if you need zechut, but it's interesting here that we see Haman specifically, the suggestion is that he gave in order to have zechut. 
So going further, we see the Midrash in Yalkut Shimon, he says, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish said, it was revealed and known to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that in the future, the evil Haman would weigh out Shekhalim, says in the Midrash, against B'nai Yisrael. Therefore Hashem preceded his Shekhalim, Haman's Shekhalim, with our Shekhalim. That is, in commanding Kala Yisrael to bring Shekhalim in the Midbar, Hashem's intention was the merit of their Shekhalim should preempt and nullify the power and merit of Haman's Shekhalim. That's the Midrash. The same exact Midrash is repeated in the Gemara, and the Gemara adds one line. It says, on the first of Adar, they made announcements in regard to Shekhalim. Why specifically does the Gemara have to tell us it's the first of Adar? What does Adar have to do with the power of the Shekhalim? Now we know that the, the sacrifices are bought for Nisan, so you need time to collect and buy and, and get them. The Gemara Megillah on page 16b, it discusses these Shekhalim in the context of the following. It says, this is from the Gemara, when Haman went to get Mordechai, in order to parade him, this was after Ahasuerus has the dream and he looks in the book and he says, Mi Bechatzer, who's in the outside, Haman is there, he says, what should I do with the person who, who, favor, who the king finds favor? So Haman goes to find Mordechai. He finds him sitting outside. And what happens? Mordechai thinks that Haman's coming to kill him. So Haman takes, I mean, Mordechai takes his talit, he wraps himself in the talit, which evokes an image of Moshe Rabbeinu praying, right? And then we see that when Moshe says, who's below to pray? It always connects Moshe with Mordechai. So, so he, he prays before Hashem. Haman comes and he's waiting for him to pray, to finish praying. He says, what was Haman doing? The day that Haman came was the 16th day of Nisan, the day after Pesach. What's the law of the 16th day of Nisan? The law of the Omer. So, so Mordechai is teaching the people who were with him about the Omer. The Omer is basically taking a handful of flour and bringing that as an offering, barley. Now, in the, now Haman, says, says, says the Gemara, Haman is standing there waiting for Mordechai. And while he's waiting for Mordechai to pray, to take him and parade him on the horse, the other rabbis are there. So he says to the rabbis, what are you guys doing? So they say to him, we're learning about the offering of a kometz of flour. That a person who can't afford to bring a big offering, he can't afford a cow, he can't afford the sheep, he can't afford the bird, he brings a handful of flour. We're talking about this offering that a person brings. Haman answers them and he says that this handful of flour that you're discussing is going to overcome my 10,000 talents of silver. He says, how do we relate one to the other? It's my birthday. Further, 16th of Nisan. Ah, so 17th, okay, month apart. <laughs> but what does concern us now? So now, but we also want to see that Tosvot, and this is what Tosvot writes. He said, he comments on this Gemara about the handful of flour and the 10,000 talents, and he said, I heard that the 10,000 kikar, the talents of silver, is equal to a half shekel for each of the 600,000 men who left Mitzrayim. He refers to Shemot, where it says, and Haman desired to give a corresponding amount of money in order to purchase them, to overcome their zechut. He says, he says, now it goes further, and this is something strange, and Tosfot says, examine carefully, right, and you'll find that the numbers work out. <laughs> so, I, I learned this, I remember learning the rabbi. I remember learning this, and any time I quoted, I said, "Look at look at this whole idea. Haman's ten thousand versus the six hundred thousand. This is Tosfot. The problem is that I find out now that if you do the math, and it's so simple because it's it's staring you in the face that it's a mistake. He says that it doesn't work. He's not only off by a little; he's off by by a, a multiplication factor of a hundred. How do we see? We see." In Parshat Pikudei, we see in Parshat Pikudei that it says the silver from those numbered of the congregation, the total silver that they collected. So remember, there were basically there was machasita shekel that was used for the animals. There was also machasita shekel that was used for making the supports of the of the adanim for the for the. for the mikdash, for the mishkan. The, so basically you had these wooden planks. Are you mean for the sockets? 
The sockets, exactly. That's, that's the sockets. The, so we have a, so we have a hundred adanim. We have a hundred sockets for each of the panels, and each socket weighed one kikar of silver, and the total that Moshe collected was a hundred kikar of silver, and Haman is giving ten thousand kikar of silver. Each, each, each. Each socket. Each plank weighed a hundred kikar. No, each socket of the plank weighed one kikar. Each socket weighed one kikar. One kikar. The total that Moshe collected is specifically says was a hundred kikar. Okay, and then it goes that there was extra seventeen seventy five because basically remember there was six hundred and three thousand and five fifty. So he has six hundred thousand gives you a hundred talents. And then, and then the, the additional amount they use for the hooks, to make the small hooks. So he goes through the breakdown of the, of the weight, and he shows how Rashi explains the weight, and we see that no question about it, it's the 100 kikar versus 10,000 kikar. So the question, you go back to Tosvot and you say, how can you say that the 10,000 equals 100, and you're not only saying, you're saying, do the math. It's exact. It works. What's Tosfot trying to tell us? So that just blew me away. So when I saw that, I said, now I have to figure out this whole thing. Go further. What is a, what is a talent of silver equal to? What's a talent? So he breaks it down. Rashi breaks it down. The, the way to, to grand, do the... He, he breaks it down so that you see, no, and whatever they use in those days to show what one equals the other. I, I have basically, it was two pages of explaining the breakdown, but I, I left out all the math. Now, the, so there's additional problem. There's two, gemara, two pages of Gemara and Mesechet Megillah. The first on page 13b quotes Rish Lakish to the effect that commanding B'nai Israel to bring Shekalim in the Midbar, Hashem, Hashem's intention was the merit of the Shekalim should preempt and nullify the power of Haman Shekalim. The second Gemara is on page 16a, and it talks about the story about the comets, the flower. So Tosfot doesn't comment on page 13a, 13b, which talks about the 10,000 talents. He comments on the page that talks about the flower. So everyone asks the question, why is Tosvot commenting on the flower page and not on the page that talks about the 10,000 talents? So first of all, Tosvot is saying something that is completely, apparently, if we look at it, wrong. And he's commenting in the wrong place. What does his comment have to do with the flower versus having to do with uh, the 10,000 talents? Maybe the Persian talent was was a hundred a hundredfold smaller. Mm. So he sings he's saying no, no question. It's a hundred times the difference. So how do you understand? He says Money flower. Huh? Money he says flower. on the first of Adar they made announcements regarding Shekalim. There's another question. Why did why does the Gemara add this extra line on the first of Adar? So he says to try to begin to understand this we have to understand what the essence is of the word beracha, of the word blessing. We always hear, give me a bracha, I want a bracha, I need a bracha, I want a bracha, Hashem, give me a blessing, bless, 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 bless. What is the idea of bracha? So the way my rabbi used to put it is, bracha only denotes expansion. Basically, something exists and you expand off of something that exists. So we see, for example, with the story of Elisha and the story of Eliyahu with the oil, you're basically taking something that exists and you're multiplying it by a factor. The essence of Beracha, the essence of Beracha is to at least, we see the, the first time we see the idea of Beracha is in, the, in, the, in Bereshit. On the fifth day, when Hashem creates, it says on the, he says, and he, he creates the, uh, this, right? And he says to the, the, the fish of the sea and the water, and he blessed them, and, and that's the first time. He says, Hashem blessed them. What is bless them? In order for them to multiply, expand. So anytime you see bracha, the rabbis say it means multiplication. 
the smallest whole factor of multiplication is two. If you take one, it becomes two. If you take 10, it becomes 20. And the rabbis say, if you take 100, it becomes 200. What was the source of the attention? Sorry? In Bereshit. In Bereshit, when he blesses the, on the fifth day, when he created the, the fish and the, the whatever animals, the creepy crawly, and the, that they should vayivarech. That's the first time Hashem vayivarech. It's it's regarding to it's regarding that they should multiply. So a bracha does not does not create anything new. It expands on what exists already. Exactly, that's what it's saying. A bracha requires something to exist in order to expand from. So we have to see that any time we see bracha, it's always an expansion by a minimum of double two. So the word barech, if we look at barech, the first letter of barech is a bet. The gematria is two. The second letter is Resh, gematria of 200. The third letter is Chaf, gematria of 20. So the, the word Berach, the word bless, it connotes this idea of doubling, minimum of doubling, 222. Two, two, and the highest level is this hundreds that, that it brings. This is based on the Maharal. The Maharal brings this idea of Barach is doubling, minimum of doubling. No, so in Bereshit we just see that it's a multiplication. They should peru urvu. Okay. You should be fruitful and multiply. Maharal is saying the minimum is a full number. It has to be double. There's no beracha that's not at least double. Because it's not 1.2. It's double. I understand. But this is his own interpretation. It's not like it's the source. No, no. He's the source. He's saying yeah, he's that he's taking it from the, from the Torah. Showing where the first time it appears and saying this is what we can understand what beracha so means. If you follow, if, if you see it here, and this is what, it, if you follow it further down, you're going to We always try to look at the first time see, it appears. You'll see that it repeats itself. That's why you always go back to see where the first time The Khatam Sofer, he sources it more and he goes much further. He says the complete fulfillment of bracha is not double. The complete fulfillment of bracha is when it's multiplied by a factor of 100. And he can prove it. It's interesting. Exactly. He says that we see when Yitzchak plants, he doesn't expect a return. And what happens is he gets a return of a hundredfold. And there we see that Hashem blessed him. It says, Hashem. Exactly. But one second, you're saying. Tom Safari wants. Okay. No, so the so blessing. But, but it, you, it has to. There has to be something. There has to be something there. So there's a minimal. The bracha th- has to be given. Yes, it, there has to be something. So he's planting, and you're taking whatever would have been. It's a hundred times what he would have expected. So he's saying that. So the minimum of bracha is a multiplication factor of two. But the the the, the full, full 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 fulfillment of bracha. Is when you multiply by a hundred. Where do we with see? The with the, with the oil and the whatever she, had, whatever, whatever she you whatever can collect, we're going to fill. Filled, but filled. the interesting was with Eliyahu and Navi. Remember, Eliyahu and Navi has is hungry, and he comes to the woman and he says to the woman, "I'm hungry. Could you make me food?" She says, "All I have is the flask of oil, and I have this container of flour." And he guarantees her that if you make me my food, this flask of oil, until the, the, uh, the famine ends, this flask of oil will never run out. And this jug of flour will never run out. Just take from it. They'll always be in there. That's his guarantee. So that's what we read. We read in the Haftarah, only the Ashkenazim read in the Haftarah a couple of, couple of, uh, last, last week. But, but that, that is more than a hundredfold. I mean, we don't know what it is, but it's, I'm saying it's infinite. It's but he's infinite. saying, but he's saying, but it's a, but basically bracha is a hundredfold. That's why you see like with the Baba Sali stories where he you know wraps the adak in uh, in uh, in a cloth and he pours and he could pour like a thousand cups of adak. Taxi driver. He says to the taxi driver, "I need to go to the next town," and the taxi driver says, "I'm sorry, but we have no gas." He goes, "Just go. Don't worry about it. There's plenty of gas." Ah. Okay, that's it. So there's, if, if you have that kind of thing, you could take existing and it becomes a hundred times. I know. It's all, have, we're running out. Then you're done. That's it. You have that, to so the bracha always, always has to be 
there's, to has to be in secret. Yeah, secret. The bracha has yeah. to be in secret. Nobody should know about it. Now going further, we see what's the second source the Khatam Sofer brings. So you couldn't become a billionaire. I mean, he says, right, but he says, what's the second source? What? Don't like what? Sounds like rabbit. What are you talking about? I don't like that. You say it disappears. No, no, no. That's the so- right. He says that. Say it. Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's not. It has to be hidden. Use the better word. Yeah. Hidden. Yeah. The bracha has to be hidden. It has to be hidden from the eye. Once it's revealed, then you lose it. That's it's it. only what's hidden. That's why the idea of my father, don't count the money, because Hashem will increase the money if you don't count the money. Don't do the inventory, because it'll all be there if you don't look for it. Better be this is a, something, uh, a very fine distinction. You know, like, is it that it's, it's secret? Or like... The idea of the fish, remember the idea of the fish is below the sea. Right. So what could have blessing? Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat, Ayin, Ale Ayin. The fish are under the sea. So because there's no Ayin Hara, then it could have Bracha. Once the Ayin sees it, then it's subject so to judgment. Problem, and you're problem with you at home counting money? You're, you know, that's, nobody's watching you. Then you know it's a, then you know it's a miracle. Don't like I don't know. I don't know. Miracle. I'm only saying what my father used to say. I'm not saying that that's a halakha. My father would say, "Don't count the money in your pocket." Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. No, no, no. But you said something about you're not supposed to count people. That like a very the partial. No, the same way. The partial last. You have to count. Yeah. Because then he'll increase it a hundred times. That's the idea. He says. Counting. Each person, Moshe, pick them up so that they know they're accountable. So if, if you get Each to be a billionaire, you get a beracha to a hundred, then from a hundred to another hundredfold, another hundredfold. Keep going. Until you become, Remember we say, we say, aser te aser. Te aser. Right, so, so it says, aser te so that you will become wealthy. Right. So whatever I give, Hashem will give me back ten times. But he's saying here, that the, the, the full extent of the blessing is the hundred times. He proves a second source. No, the, the fine point here is like that, that are you uh, doing something not good for yourself if, if you're counting something no, by yourself? I, I no, I, I don't think so. So it means in, in the presence of others, you don't go around counting what you... So one, one of the ideas that, that we hold, for example, they tell you if you want a beautiful, beautiful house... Have a beautiful house inside, but on the outside, don't make it like you stand out. Don't attract ayin. That's the idea. We could do one day a whole idea on ayin hara and how it works. But that's the idea. Because anytime, anytime something's looking, someone's looking at you, you're looking for trouble. Don't be, don't be in the newspaper. Don't be on TV. Don't be on whatever. Don't do it. That was rule number one. Because anytime you're in the brings, he says the second source is David HaMelech. This David HaMelech tells us that a person every day should make 100 berachot. Because 100 relates to the idea of berachah. And what's his source, David HaMelech? His source is the sockets. Because what are the sockets called? Adanim. And if you take, there's a, single, a singular, he says, it would be, it would be the, sh- the name Adnut. Adanim is Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud, Mem. So if you would take a singular, you would take Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud, Hashem's name. It says, what do we have? A hundred Adanim, a hundred sockets. So what should we say? Hashem's name, a hundred times a day. Baruch Atah Hashem. And that's the hundred you that brings bracha a of a hundred. You say your amens with us. Ten women stand together. You say, and everybody has to say, and everybody says, amen. So you're saying, so, so the, the full bracha, is this idea of a hundred. This idea of a hundred is the full extent of bracha. The question now is, how is a bracha activated? How do you activate it? So he says, he brings, based on Rashi and Shemot, he brings on 25.2. Who's he? Uh, this was, uh, that I was, that the... No, no, this was the rabbi in, uh, the rabbi, no, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson. Rabbi Moshe Wolfson? Who's Rabbi Moshe He's a rabbi in Borough Park. He's still living. So Rabbi Moshe Wolfson said, "Call him." Borough Park. Who are you calling? 
So this is this is what he's saying now. Okay. So he's saying that he says, "How do you activate a blessing?" And now he's quoting Rashi. He says, "Through nidivut halev." What does that mean? Through willing and selfless giving of the heart. He says, "Nadiv." Generous. Nedava is a vow. Right, it's a vow. But but we see in Rashi says that that nedava is a term. This is Rashi twenty five two shemot. It's a term of ritzon tov, goodwill. He says the willingness of the heart leads to blessing, and it could be seen from the related concept of ayin tov. It's in this week's parsha too. You know when they give. Uh, that's why. So that's what we're going to quote. It says we see twice. We see that that's when when in the beginning of terumah. Hashem says to Moshe, anyone who wants to give from their heart. Moshe begins and he says, everyone who's giving from their heart. So the whole idea of giving at a high level is to give from a person's heart, which goes back to what we talked about last week, is the intent on giving. And it's some level of misirud nefesh, and it's some level of, of, of the thought process of wanting to give. Right, so on this week's parsha, I read that, you know, like, first it's written that... God wants people to to give this the, the koshes, the gold, everything, the whatever the, the for the tapestries, and then afterwards, when it's written a second time, it says nidivat bivol. So he's adding. So if you already said for everybody to give, and they seem to be willing to give, it wasn't enough just to give. You had to want to give. Right, you know? but that was why the beginning of terumah. It says in the beginning of terumah before the list of giving that it has to come from the heart. Right. Everyone who wants to give from the Kol Yedivan, everyone who wants to give from their heart. Right. That's the idea. It's again, it's repeated again. So what happens is we realize that Terumah, Terumah is basically Hashem telling Moshe. Terumah Tetzaveh is Hashem telling Moshe. And Vayakel and Pikudeh is Moshe now giving the information over to Betzalel. And then you see how Betzalel will come back to Moshe and say, didn't you mean whatever, whatever? And that's the actual making of the things. And then the, the, uh, the accounting to show that Moshe didn't take, plan B. That Moshe didn't take anything. So we say it's a, Does that mean for everybody it's the same thing? It's everybody, like has, that's so it's, the, everybody has a potential no. that God gives. On Bitsala, remember that you're right. He's 14 years old. Where could he have the experience to have all this thing unless Hashem right. gave it as a gift? Why does he get it as a gift? Why does he get it as a gift that he has the ability to do calculations? That's what the, the Pasuk is saying. He has the ability to do calculations. What does it mean he has calculations? But also, he's not a craftsman. Why, why is he? But he's the one, who, and he's explaining to everyone how to build everything. Not only that, the Aron, the Menorah, the Shulchan, those he made himself with his own hands. Where does he have? Hashem blessed him. Why? Who was his grandfather? Hur. And what did Hur do? He didn't do calculation. He was willing to risk his life. So therefore, because Hur gave his life, Hashem blessed right, his I'm grandson I'm with the... That idea. But I'm asking you in a more broad sense. Does that Sorry, like, have to go. Oh, no problem. With, with like in relation to everybody who, who's learning something, who's, who comes up with something, is it because like God it gave him that uh, ability to come up with that? Like, of course. It's not like they did it because it, 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 it's God chose them. We, I heard this interview once on YouTube with Bob Dylan. So the interviewer asked Bob Dylan, he says to him, tell me, if you, if you sat down to write these songs today, could you write them? He said, absolutely not. He said, and he went on, and he said, you know, like, these songs just came to me. I, I did, honestly, I did nothing. 
It was just coming into me, and yeah, I just wrote it down on a piece vehicle. of paper. He said straight down. Bob Dylan. Oh. And, and he said, I absolutely could not do it. It was like he didn't even think about it. zero. He couldn't do it. And if you look at it, he doesn't write much anymore, hardly anything. He repeats his old song. And um, uh, I, when I saw this uh, about Mozart, Mozart would write as fast as you could play the music practically. And he was also very young when he was writing this stuff. They're all so young. All, like all the pro- prodigy. So, so the, the answer, the answer is going to be based on if we, we answer based on Torah. We say every day Birkat Torah. Why Birkat Torah? Because we ask Hashem to open our eyes that we should be able to learn Torah. Whenever I would have a question that I didn't understand, my rabbi would say to me, "When you go to sleep at night, write down the question, put the question under the pillow, and say to Hashem, please, Hashem, help me with the question, or just write down the question on the side or put it somewhere and say, Hashem, please help me with the question that I can get an answer." He says, "There's no ability to learn without Hashem blessing you that you could be able to learn." So it's a similar, it seems a similar idea that that Hashem is blessing us to, to be able to have this. So I think that's the idea with, with, with him. Going, just going further, he says that this idea of Mishle, on, on the idea of, the, of activating... He didn't say that Dylan didn't exactly say those words, but with this, it's all That's when he used to go to the Kotel with, what's his name? One day a friend of ours was at the Kotel All of a sudden he sees Bob Dylan coming in uh, He swoops out Bob Dylan And then he he had a good time with him At the Kotel Yeah, 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 yeah (laughs) So activating a blessing Mishle says Someone who has a good eye That person will be blessed A good eye Furthermore the Gemara says Whoever takes a penny from Iyov Gets blessed what does it mean? Because Iyov is giving the money with a good heart. So the money that Iyov is giving is blessed. Goes further. We see that... that, in a, that Where is this it, word written about the Iyov? Right? In, in the Gemara, I don't have the... It says that because... It says when you give something wholeheartedly with a good eye, its value conceptually increased. We see when it comes to a Kohen... You're supposed to give him five coins for the Pidyon Haben. But the Kohen could take less. And the Gemara in Kiddushin says that a Kohen could say regarding less money, to me it's worth five Sela'im. What does it mean that for him it's worth five Sela'im? Because if the person who gives the money in a certain way makes you feel a certain way, then even if it's less than you wanted, you feel good about what you're getting. You know sometimes you could have someone, no matter what you charge them, you're not happy And someone Whatever they give you Because they make you feel good You're happy with what it That's called blessed money And not blessed Because the money you get From someone who gives it to you With a good heart That money will increase The Zohar Kadosh says something crazy It says that if, a, if, if, if one donates To a poor man With a begrudging eye Then the latter won't find Satisfaction from the donation and the Zohar continues and says, don't take a donation from a kamsan. Don't take money from a cheapo who doesn't want to give money because that money will not be blessed. Saying that the money itself has blessing in it based on how the money is being given. He's telling us the poor person shouldn't take the money? He says that it's not going to be, it's not going to help. No, the poor person can take the money, but it will buy him a loaf. He says it's not going to find, he won't, be, he won't find satisfaction. It's like uh, from the donation. Rabbi who said no to the donation to open, uh, right. uh, uh, what do you call it, schools for the, the tour, right? He goes, because it's not good to be put in, the money's not. It's uh, not blessed, the money. Blessed. Right, it was one of the big yeshivas. He refused to take the money from some guy because he said the money won't be blessed. It. Says, it was like millions and millions. Yeah. Logic dictates that the more nedivut halev and ayin tov that goes into a donation, the more blessing it's going to have. That's what he's saying from all of these sources. So if you think of that, then the math of Tosvot is actually 100% correct. Because all the people who were giving, they were giving, and specifically the Torah tells us that they were giving, he says, he says that, that everyone's going to take everything that they desire of their heart. So if the people are giving from their heart, even though they're only giving 100 kikar, 100 talents, it grows exponentially to... A hundred times that, which is ten thousand. Which is ten thousand. 
And he says, that's why, that's why he says, that's why he specifically writes in Tosvot that go do the calculation and you'll see that it's right. You now go back to the flower. He's saying that that's what we're going to explain. The hundred versus the 10,000, that's the answer. He says, now we have to go further. He says, that something given with ayin tov and nidivut halev, it becomes full of bracha, which conceptually increases it to the equivalent of a hundred times more. Combining this with what we saw, that the donations of the Mishkan, indeed all were given with a good eye and a willing heart, it follows that a hundred kikar or ten thousand. Whatever the case, the hundred kikar donated by the Jews had the status of ten thousand kikar. And we see also that with regard to the Adanim, we bring, they bring the word me'ah a hundred twice. They all ask, why is the second hundred? Because it's a hundred times a hundred. Even though it seems to be a hundred, it's a hundred times a hundred. The value is a hundred times a hundred. Going further, we said it's in the wrong Gemara. Like that's the question just asked. Why do we have it, Mesech Megillah, in reference to Haman's 10,000 talents? Why do we, was Rish Lakish bring it with regard, why does he bring it with regard to this handful of flour? What's the idea of the handful of flour? That that's where he's bringing the 10,000 is equal to when Hashem brings the cure before the... He says, how do you understand it? He says that we have to understand there. Tosfot comments on the flower side and not in the other. We see that when bringing a minchat nedava, minchat means a flower offering, right? In, in, in Vayikra, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when a person brings as a sacrifice a meal offering to Hashem, but it says, venefesh kitakriv. Nefesh. The other places doesn't say nefesh. Only here with a flower offering, it says nefesh kitakriv. As such, what's the significance of the, of the Torah using this particular wording? Rashi notes it's not found in regards to the other korban, korban nedava, but only regarding korban mincha. Rashi clarifies it based on the Gemara Menuchot 104, that who is it that usually brings a meal offering when bringing a voluntary sacrifice? He says a very, very poor man. He says, this person can't afford the more expensive alternatives. He can't bring an animal. He can't bring a bird. As such, the Torah uses a terminology of self-sacrifice in order to indicate that when it comes to a poor individual, even a small handful of flour is very difficult for him to donate. And since he nevertheless pushes himself to give it, the Torah considers this handful of flour as if he sacrificed his own nefesh, himself. That's how the Torah sees it. So this mincha nedava is a little bit that's worth so much because it's given with difficulty and it's giving with a willing heart. He can't afford it. No matter what he can't afford it, but he's still willing to give it and he wants to give it with a willing heart. So Hashem looks at this small gift. Now we could see. The, the case is the exact mechanism through which the hundred kikar of silver become 10,000. Because the only way the 10,000 comes 10,000 is when you give it and you really want to give it and it's not easy to give it and you're giving it with everything that you have. Therefore, Resh Lakishwe presents, that's the, the place he presents it. So the person, the poor person who gives a flower with an open heart is, is viewed as what? As, as if he gave his own soul. You're thinking, listen, we say that you're going to bring a big cow and you're going to put your hands on the head of the cow and you're going to, you're going to feel like when the cow is getting killed, you're giving your soul. And we learned that from the nefesh. What was the word in nefesh? Nefesh kitab. It says, it says, it says with here, it's, it's, it says, it says uh, this, the nefesh kitakriv. And he brings it specifically with the mincha offering. Now we can understand it when you're bringing the cow because you're so seeing them kill the cow. Which part is that? Now? So, so Rabbi says this, it's a big deal. We have to be very careful how we give. If it's real, why you're giving. If it's, where is it coming from? Do you really want to give it? Because it's bad stuff. If you're giving it, you don't going? want to give it. Rabbi he's... Uh, you also from Baruch? Or? No, he's 200 years ago. 100 something years ago. Um, yeah, the people, but people are collecting the pressure and pressure and pressure. 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 Rabbi Musar. But, but not, not uh, a. Rabbi Volbe? W O L B E. W O L B E. 
Yeah, he's a he's he's basically takes the teachings of Rav Salanter, and he he really formulates them in a way so that we can. Can you write a book? I'll lay sure. That's the side of the rock. Ah, yeah. So now, just a side note on this, uh, the idea now. So the question is, if Haman knows that Bnei Israel's 600,000 half shekel only equal 100 talents of silver, why does Haman bring 10,000 to go against 100? He must have known this. He needs to multiply by 100. Yeah. Why does he multiply by 100? Not that he knows, he knows that they're going to get... He doesn't know they get the value of the hundred. But for the dark side, right. when you multiply by a hundred, a hundred is the gematria of... He said it last week. Sam. Samach Mem. The, the Satan. Samach Mem is Satan. So if you multiply, he multiplies by a hundred to have the merit of Satan, that Satan should poison it that he, they should be able to overcome B'nai Israel through Satan. And that's one of the reasons that when we go up to the Torah, we never give $100. We always, we always give 101. Because Samach Mem is the 100. Right. And 101 is Michael. Wow. That's why we always give 101. Michael is, if you, the gematria of Shem Michael is 101. No, no, Samach Mem. So the name oh, of Satan okay. is Samach Mem Aleph Lamed. Right. We only take the Samach Mem, it's 60 and 40 is 100. Yeah. That's how we refer to the, Satan, to the Satan as Samach Mem. That, he brings that just as a side note. But he says, he knows he's coming now, he knows that Mordechai is teaching. He's teaching this goodness, he's yeah, combating isn't it. Isn't there also a reverse where it becomes Am Yisrael? Uh, and that's Haman. What's yeah? I, I, I think I have here. So he says now. Now we see that the, now. Now the next one I just want to go cool. into. We have a little, a little more time. Let's just do this. We we mentioned last week with regard to uh, Adar. What's so special about Adar? We mentioned a few things. So I saw things that I didn't see before. The Bnei Sachar quotes the Megaleh Mukot, who quotes a Kabbalistic text called Sode Razi. I don't know what it is. He says that each month has a certain angel who rules over that month. The angel of Chodesh Adar, his name is Avrachiel. Avrachiel. The center of his name is based on Bracha. Bet Reishchaf. That's his name. So, wait, the, the name of the angel is Avrachiel? Aleph Bet Reish, Chaf Yud. Aleph Bet Reish, Chaf Yud. And then El. He says, and that his name, his name is is the center of his name. The root of his name is blessing, and that's why the Bnei Sachar brings Megaleh Mukot, who quotes this book, who says that's why Adar is a specifically a month of bracha. We mentioned last week that each of the months is related to one of the tribes, and Adar is specifically related to Yosef. Why? Because Yosef is Menasher Ephraim, or sometimes Yosef. And Adar sometimes has two months and sometimes one month. Also, we see what's the bracha that's given to the children of Yosef, that vayidgu larov bekerev haaretz. It's a blessing that they're going to multiply. And the idea of bracha and multiply is associated specifically with Yosef. And even his name is Yosef, right? Is, is in, increase. It says, and so Yosef Adar is the second way because it's associated with bracha. Going further, the sign of Adar, which we mentioned, is dagim. It's the only one that has a plural, even though teumim is twins. But teumim, you can't say singular twins. Dagim, you could say dag, dagim. So dagim is plural. And also we say, what's the things that we say that are going to multiply is dagim. And dagim is associated with this month, which is one or two. And therefore you have... The and two fish which we mentioned. And, and Yosef is out. The Ayin Hara. Putting all this together, it follows that inasmuch as Adar is the month of fish, and fish are related to multiplicity, and multiplicity is the essence of Bracha, so it follows that the fact that Adar's Mazal is Dagim is an additional hint to the Bracha which permeates this month. Going further, we also have the Adar Yosef connection. A fourth indication of the special association that exists between Adar and blessing is the fact that the Mishnah in the beginning of Mesechet Shechalim says, we said before, it brings this extra line, when do you bring the, the Machasita Shekel? Rosh Chodesh Adar. Why? Be'echad be'adar, 
those two words, Be'echad, Be'adar, a gematria of 15 and 207 equals 222, which is the word Be'rach, which is the word bless. Be'echad, Be'adar is equal bless. Be'echad, Be'adar equals bless. 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 Yeah, Be'echad, Yeah, Be'echad. Now, this is the one, this is wild. So growing up, I always used to play around. I remember, what was the movie? 666. I may believe that. I have 666 in my head. Sign of the devil. All these things, right? We have 666, sign of the devil. 666, the devil associated with the Jews. They get 666, the Christians, because in the reverse of nines, I, I don't know how they... It's interesting that 666, I didn't understand where 666, source of 666. Why do we have 666? Now, it brings... Well, I'll tell you one thing, you know, I... There's this building, you know, built yeah, it was 666, you're on 5th Avenue. Yeah, 666, so that's, that's, that's oh, what's his name. That's Kushner's building. Kushner's building. Kushner's building. That was that's, and that's what Chira owns, the whole, uh, that was, that the was, retail. Christian. That was considered, that, that was that like the terrorist for a long time. Then all of a sudden, I read in the paper, this building ain't doing really so high anymore. Go, go ahead, go ahead. So, the numbers, he says that, that it's related to both Bracha and to Yosef. This is how. The number that represents this concept of Bracha and Yosef is 666. How? Throughout the Torah literature, Yosef is associated with Yisod, which is the sixth of Zeranpin. So sixth of the Svirot, given those. Now, if we learn that the Bracha is 1, 10, 100, and you're going to give it a multiplication factor, if you're going to take Yosef, it's the sixth. So you take the six times the 1, 1, 1, you come 666. How does he come up with it? We start, remember, 111 becomes 222. That's the minimum bracha. He's saying, no, take 111 and multiply by 6666. What's 666? He says, me'asha'arim. He said it. Me'asha'arim. The word me'asha'arim a hundred times. The whole idea of of increasing a hundred times Yitzchak, the gematria of me'asha'arim is 666. Go further. Just like the, there's a yearly cycle as a microcosm. So the yearly cycle, we start with Nisan, which is the beginning of blessing. We come to Adar, which is somewhat darkness, the end of the year, when you've sort of lost your energy and you're waiting for the rebirth of Nisan. So Adar, Hashem is saying, I'm going to give you a gift in Adar because Adar should be in nothing negative. It's, I've had it already, so I'm going to give you a gift of Adar. How do we understand it? We talk about something called Ikve Hamashiach, the 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 times that were, but it's the heel, the heel, the heel of the Mashiach. It's really called heel from Yaakov, heel Ekev, the heel of the Mashiach. So we say we're in the times of Ikve Mashiach, the heel of the Mashiach. That's our days. It says why is it called Ikve? Because the the way it's explained is in 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 the Gemara. It says because Ikve because the heel is the least sensitive part of the body. The least sensitive part of the body is the heel. He says that what happens in the end of days, we're spiritually insensitive. Mm-hmm. He says, and the same way that the end of the time, when you come to Adar, you become spiritually insensitive until the rebirth of Nisan. He says, so what's true of the final stage of the historical process is also true of the final month of Adar. Adar is the contrast of Nisan. Nisan is the month of Yetziat Mitzrayim, when Hashem basically sticks the reality of His existence and providence in your face. Whereas Adar is the month of Purim. And how do we relate to Hashem in Adar? Hester, no, Hester Panim. There's no name of Hashem in, in the Megillah. Everything of Hashem is hidden in Purim. There's a lack of sensitivity. The least spiritual. It's the least spiritual. It's the time that Hashem is hidden the most. And that's why we find him in the Megillah by looking. It's, it's Hester Panim. It represents the end of days. Just like it's the end of year, the end of days. It's how do we relate the two? <laughs> the Mashiach comes in Nisan because it's rebirth. Right. <clears throat> he says that, that in Adar it's very difficult. He talks about even students in Yeshiva. By the time they get to Adar, they're finished because they know they're off in Nisan. So they get to the point where they're like thick already enough. Yeah. I don't want to... <laughs> Not how kid. So Nisan is a spiritual rebirth. It's the renewal. It's a rebirth. My, if you read, last week my daughter wrote a beautiful article on rebirth of Nisan. It follows that the blessing found in Adar is a direct consequence of that which Adar is the heel of the I'm year. Sorry. Then why was last week's parasha 
so it, teaching that you have a chance, you fall, you get up. Moshe That's what he's going to explain. What, because it's so negative, because it's the end, because it's nothing there, what is happening? Hashem is giving you help in this month in order to succeed. All this is hinted in the Mishkan. The Mishkan, there was an item which corresponds to the concept of the heel. Which item of the Mishkan corresponds to the heel more than any other item? The Adanim, the posts, the bottom of the posts that support the, the columns. They're like it. He says, if you do it the right way, even if it's in the ground, even if it's buried in the ground, even if it's hidden, even if it's there... You, you have the Adanim, parallel Adar, and they fit with everything we said. Adar is full of bracha. Why? Because of the intention of a person that they have. Even though it's difficult, if your intention is there, if you're, if you're giving wholeheartedly, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you could take what's essentially a dark spiritual month and turn it into the most positive spiritual month. Going further, let's... Now, so we're just going to try to finish with this because this is... So it says that... Like we're relating to Adar as the end of the year, we're going to relate to the end of the year specifically. Just as Adar is permeated by Berachah because of the spiritual challenge, so much the end of days, the time that we're living in, is really a time of tremendous spiritual challenge and darkness. The source of this is Rav Chaim Vital. In Sha'ar HaGilgulim, in the Gate of Reincarnation, Chaim Vital, the student of the Arizal, writes that he once asked the Arizal, why the Arizal would hold him, Rav Chaim Vital, in such high esteem, considering that he doesn't come close to the great sages of earlier generations. He says, why me? Who am I? I'm nothing. Compared to them, I'm zero. He says that the Arizal responds that greatness is relative to the circumstances. And given the great impurity, this is what he's writing in Sifat in the 16th century, Given the great impurity that existed in the world at that time, in comparison to the preceding generations, Rabbi Chaim Vital's accomplishments were in fact considered truly astonishing. Now if you think of that, this is in Sifat, 400 years ago, in the generation of, who's living there? The Bet Yosef. The Rashid Chokhmah, the Mabit, the Seder Hayon, the Midrash Shemuel, the Sefer Chasidim, the, the Al Sheikh, all these rabbis in this place, the Ramcha, all these places, the, the, the Ramach, all these places are in the same place in the same time, and he's saying, This is spiritual darkness, he's telling him. He says, Imagine if you think of that. He says, Just look at our world, how much it's changed in 20 years. He says, we're living in a time that there's never been such spiritual darkness and so much negative out there against us. Today, if the Arizal is saying to him 400 years ago, the reason why you don't have to be so great is because we're living in such a spiritual dark time compared to prior. Imagine us just compared to that time. We're like in, in, buried in the ground. He goes, he says, every, he says that, 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 that if you see the conditions that we live in, it's, he says, every Jew has to make sure, he says, the problem in our time is you have to make sure you don't fall into depression as a result of a person's sins. He says, it's so difficult to keep straight in this world. He says, that, he says, it's so difficult to keep straight that even when a person sins, he has to know not to fall into the trap of depression. Because that's Yagon and Anacha, that's the Satan, and that's where the Satan and his wife draw you down. He says, nevertheless, a person has to keep trying. He has to try and remember that Hashem loves every Jew. Goes further, he says, following a sin, a person has to be prepared to make a new start. You always have to be willing to say, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of my life. Leave the past, go to the next day. Last thing he says, we need to realize that the things that make us stumble can actually be a source of great merit for us. This has to do with the fact that the place of one who repents is higher than the place of the one who never sinned. The idea of turning a sin into a merit through teshuvah me'ahava, we say we're embarrassed that we did the sin because what's my father going to say? So, so this Rav Mordechai of, of Chernobyl, who's, the, who's the, the first one of the Tversky's, he brings a crazy story. He says there was a very wealthy man, I think we, we end pretty much here. The, he bring, there's this very wealthy man, and this very wealthy man lives in the this, in this city, and he says this man had this magnificent home and poor people would come always to collect money and he would always tell them stay at the door I'll give you what you want you can't come in the house because everyone walking in the street has terrible mud and I have beautiful carpets and a beautiful house and I don't want the mud in my house 
So this rabbi comes, the Chernobyl Rebbe, this, uh, the, the grandfather of the Torskis, he comes and he says, you know what? I'm going to come visit. I want to stay by you. He says, Fadal, stay by me. No, Tversky yeah, wasn't Chabad. It's Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah, no, not. They'll be, the, they'll be in the no, no, Lubavitch. Lubavitch. Yeah. Tversky's Lubavitch? No. No, I mean, in Chernobyl, they'll be Lubavitch. Ah, uh, uh, but Tversky's not Chabad. No, no. Tversky? It's ch- not Chabad. Tversky's not Chabad. It's Chabad, Tversky's. are not Chabad. No. Tversky's are not Chabad. They were, why you guys? They're Litvaks. Yeah. Anyway, so he says that. He wants, Abraham, to, he wants to come to his house and he he's wants to have a thing. He's, he's he wants Abraham to invite Torsky. all the people. Look it up. I don't, I don't know. Chernobyl or Rebbe? Chernobyl. No, but I, I, I've, I've Abraham Torsky. I, really I, I don't think he's Chabad. No, no, I don't think um, Rabbi Torsky is Chabad. He, he, back in the day, it's not he's Chabad. There's, I don't know. Okay, we'll, the look, main, at, the we'll look it up. Let's finish, Let's finish the story. Okay, so he says that what happens was he wants to, t- he says that, you know what, I want you to, I want to make a big class in your house. I want to make a big thing Friday night. We're going to make a tish or whatever you call it. Everybody's invited. He says, Rabbi, you're more than welcome to stay in my house. But you ain't bringing people into my house because they're going to come and bring disgusting, terrible mud into my house. I can't handle the mud. He says, okay, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in the clock. He tells him, I want to tell you a story. He tells him a story, and this crazy story he tells him. And he tells him the story that there was a certain person, he never did a good deed in his whole life. He was filled with sins, he never did one good thing. Then one day he's riding on the road, and he sees on the road that there's a wagon that fell into quicksand, and there's this family on the wagon, and the thing is sinking, and the horse can't get it out, and he decides his horse and his wagon, and he says, I have to save these people, and he literally goes into the quicksand to pull the people out, and he has his horse pull their horse out, and pulls their wagon out, and he saves the people. So this guy dies eventually. He goes up to Shamayim and the angels come and put all his good deeds on one side and they ain't anything. And then the, the other bad angels come and put all his sins on the other side and boom, it weighs. So it says we're going to go bring the, the family that he saved. We're going to bring those bodies and put the weight of those bodies on one side. Okay, Hashem says put them. It says mm, doesn't budge. It says we're going to take the horse. They saved the horse. We're going to put the horse. We're going to take the wagon. Put the wagon. Nothing. Still is losing. He says, you know what? Why can we, can we put the mud? <laughs> we say, you know what? We're going to see if he, when he comes back in a Gilgul. If he appreciates mud, we'll put the mud. If he doesn't appreciate the mud, then we're not going to put the mud. He tells him the story. He realizes he's the guy. And he always hates mud. He better accept mud. So he says, everyone should come into my house. Whoever wants to come, bring the mud. And then I should have the mud on my, my thing should be good. So, okay, it's a good story. He tells him, but he says, the, the point of the story is this. That a person could take the mud in his life and turn the mud into merits that weigh for him. He goes, how? To put into modern terms, when Hashem comes to reckon, where a Western Jew of the modern era is holding in his spirituality, he'll take all the atheist literature, all the drugs, all the illicit material with which the Jew today is literally bombarded, and all this will be put on the side of merit of his scale, seeing as the overwhelmingly tremendous pull of those items which needs to, he needs to overcome in order to just learn a little, in order to pray just a little, in order to just do a little mitzvah. So when Hashem takes such an approach, our sides of merit quickly come crashing down, easily outweighs the side of the guilt. It says that a little bit is accomplished with nedivut halev and misirut nefesh, it becomes worth so much more. It says Hashem realizes that we're living in this thing. He realizes it. He says, what does a person have to do? He says, the Pasuk in Bereshit says, he, he quotes specifically this idea that, that Adar is a chance to redo Elul. Whatever we were going to prepare in Elul. We, get to, we go the whole month of Elul. And we're supposed to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. We get to the last day, we didn't do anything. He says, and we wish we had Elul again. He says, Adar is the chance that Hashem's giving you to overcome Elul. And he shows the... He, he goes through a whole proof of how that and works. He says, yeah. He no, says specifically... Specifically, when it comes to Adar Sheni, that Adar Sheni is this, this very, very high level of mercy that when a person has, the person could have exact mercy on Adar Sheni. He says, and he brings, he says that it's Pa'amayim twice. A person could have Elul Pa'amayim. What is Elul Pa'amayim? The only month really that's Pa'amayim is Adar. So he says, when you have Adar the second time, that really gives a person a way to completely repair anything he has to repair. So this is bring practical lessons. 
that when it comes to learning Torah, praying, doing mitzvot, a little bit is worth so much more when it's accomplished with a lot of effort. If we really put our mind to it, even though we, we can't. I said one time, you know, I said to the, to the rabbi, you know, am I supposed to learn eight hours, 12 hours a day? He says, listen, learn a, learn a little in the morning, learn a little in the night, do what you're supposed to do, do it with a full heart, and that's what Hashem wants from you. Says, he says that a person has to remember that we face a very challenging time. We face a very, very difficult world that we're living in. On the one hand, look, we have every kind of class we could listen to, whatever we want to listen to. We could be anything we want. But the challenges are so much greater than anyone ever, ever faced. We face more in a single day than they probably faced in their entire lives of challenges in the way we live. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying. He's saying it's very easy for us to stumble. The Yetzir Hara has so many avenues, so many angles, so many ways to get to us. He says that it's so crucial in this pre-Messianic era that a person should know that a person has to do the best they can. And if a person fails, he has to get up. And if he fails again, he has to get up. And he can't just submit. He has to keep trying and trying and trying. He says, if you do that, you'll, you'll, you'll really see this day of Ikvei Mashiach that Hashem is saying, in the end of time, why is Hashem going to be so merciful us to, to, to save us now? Why is Hashem being so nice to us? Because the challenges are so great that everything that we do is not just worth the one, it's not just worth a hundred. It becomes worth a hundred times a hundred. Hashem is giving us a bracha because of the challenges that we face. And that's what he says that we have to realize. A person has to try, do whatever he can, and Hashem is going to respond to those things with, with the bracha. You know what I was thinking about?